even though I talk too much for a living, uh, being, uh, giving a sermon, preaching God's words, is very much a different thing. Uh, this year, I had the, um, uh, the privilege and opportunity of, of um, studying at Laidlaw. I've been doing that in my spare time for a few years now, and uh, I did an introduction to preaching course. So, so I'm officially trained and certified for this. <laughs> Uh, but there's a bit of a disclaimer there because I'm, I'm only new at this. I apologize. Uh, because we're in the Christmas season, I thought a, a wonderful um, sermon and topic to preach on is Three Kings. This is a story of three kings, King David, King Christopher, and King Winston. And I wasn't sure how well a political joke would be with a new audience, but no, not those three kings. And honestly, not the ones from the Christmas Carol either, although more on them a little bit later in the story. This is very much a Christmas story. So as all story, good stories start, once upon a time in the land of Judah, there lived a very bad king named Ahaz. Then one day, King Pekah of Israel and King Rezin of Aram plotted together to attack the king of Judah. We find this story in the Old Testament book of Isaiah, but Ahaz, Rezin, and Pekah aren't the three kings that I want to talk about either. Isaiah was a prophet of God, and he warned King Ahaz to change his wicked ways, but he also prophesied about three very different types of king that God had promised his people. Now, King Ahaz was a descendant of David. That's not David Seymour, it's a different type of David, who was one of the, uh, the best kings that Israel had ever had. And many years earlier, God had made a promise to David. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 and 13, God promised David an eternal dynasty. For when you die and are buried with your ancestors, I will raise up one of your descendants, your own offspring, and I will make his kingdom strong. He is the one who will build a house, a temple for my name, and I will secure his royal throne forever. Now, since that time, the people had been looking forward to the fulfillment of this prophecy, another king in the line of David, a king definitely better than Ahaz, who would conquer their enemies and restore the kingdom to its former glory. However, over the years, the opposite had happened. The, uh, the kingdom had been split into two, and generation after generation of fighting each other and fighting their neighbors, both kingdoms spiraling downwards towards immorality, idolatry, and eventually exile. It's within this culture that the book of Isaiah is written, God's people crying out for another good king like David, to save them from their enemies, but also to save them from themselves. Isaiah talked about three very different type of kings who would fulfill that prophecy in very different ways. These are the three kings that I want to talk about today. Now, the first type of king is mentioned in, well, roughly the first third of the book of Isaiah, the first 37 chapters. He is a king in the line of David, a descendant of Israel's greatest king, but even better than that. He would be such a great leader, such a mighty warrior king that Israel would never be defeated. This is the king they were crying out for. According to prophecy, this king would establish an eternal reign. Now we know the, uh, the famous Christmas verses from Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. For a child is born to us, 
a son is given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. What a powerful promise from the word of God. This is the, the Christmas passage, of course. This is the one that ends up in the Christmas carols and on the Christmas cards. And, and, uh, and this is what we celebrate at Christmas time. But just a few verses earlier in, uh, in verse 3, in fact, Isaiah talks about how God promises to enlarge the nation of Israel and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, like the warriors dividing the plunder. This was the type of king that the people of Judah would have been expecting. A great king in the line of David who would unite their nation, would defeat their enemies, and would make Israel great again. They probably had that on hats, make Israel great again, I'm thinking. Earlier in, in chapter 3, chapter 3 and verse 14, Isaiah had explained to bad king Ahaz, Ahaz, remember bad king Ahaz, he was constantly worried about invasion from other kingdoms. And he had good reason for that, honestly. This promise from Isaiah to king Ahaz that he would know that God would rescue Judah when this happened. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Again, this is the familiar Christmas passage that we're associated with. Today we recognize this as a prophecy of Jesus. But to King Ahaz, it would have seemed ridiculous, impossible, a virgin giving birth. This would be very much like saying that the trees of the field would march towards Jerusalem or that the great sea would turn to strawberry yogurt. This was the... This was obviously a poetic metaphor and was never going to happen. However, of course, in the Gospel of Matthew, we see the fulfillment of this miraculous prophecy, the conception of Jesus. Matthew chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. Jesus is born of the Virgin Mary, and he truly is Emmanuel, God with us. The prophecy of a king like David is also answered in Luke chapter 1 verses 32 and 33 with the angel Gabriel's announcement to Mary that she will become pregnant and give birth to a child and it says in that passage who will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David and who will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his king and of his kingdom there will be no end a definite echoing of the passage in Isaiah this is the fulfillment of a promise that God gave when we look at the genealogies or, or whakapapa of both Matthew and Luke it shows that Jesus is the promised Messiah the promised king in the line of David of whom Isaiah spoke but this was not the conquering liberating king that the people back in Isaiah's day were expecting. As a nation, they would be judged, they would be conquered, they would be subjugated and led off in chains to exile. In Isaiah chapter 11, verses one and two, we are told that there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his root shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Now, Jesse, as you may know, this was David's father. And Isaiah tells his listeners in Jerusalem that although 
Israel will be chopped down like an oak tree by the Assyrians and, and later Judah by the Babylonians. From that stump, a savior would arise. God's promise to David will not fail. No matter how dark the future may look, this promised king will come and will restore all things and make all things new. This was true for the people in Isaiah's day. This was the promise that they held on to. But this is also true of this church today. Although Jesus, as the son of David, did not reestablish the kingdom of Israel as they expected him to do at the time, he conquered in a very unexpected way. Revelation chapter 5 and verse 5, the ultimate fulfillment of this prophecy, the root of David has conquered. Although from where we sit today, that restoration is not yet complete. The first type of king promised in the book of Isaiah, a king in the line of David, perhaps not exactly what was expected, but certainly much closer to expectations than the second type of king described in Isaiah chapter 38 and through to um, chapter 55, known as the suffering servant. In fact, the second royal portrait that Isaiah paints, if you like, doesn't really look like a king at all, and certainly not the expectant, triumphant, conquering king. In Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 3, it describes a humble, suffering servant that will be identified by the one sent before him. Isaiah 40 and verse 3 says, Listen, it's the voice of someone shouting, Clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord. Make, straight, uh, make a straight highway through the wasteland for our God. Gospel of Matthew, of course, identifies John the Baptist as the one who was shouting in the wilderness. And he probably was a bit of a sight to behold and the camel hair and, and, and long beard. But he was the one preparing a way for his cousin, Jesus, as the one who was promised. John the Baptist preaching a message of repentance and baptism and claiming that the kingdom of heaven is at hand from Matthew chapter 3 and verse 2. But the, again, this was a very different type of kingdom than the people of Israel. The people of Palestine, as was called back then, a Roman province. They were expecting a liberating king. It was not that type of king. In Isaiah's prophecies, the savior of God's people was not so much a conquering king, but a humble servant. Isaiah 42 and verse 1, this image of servant Messiah becomes clear. Look at my servant whom I strengthen. He is my chosen one who pleases me. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring justice to the nations. The servant is the one on whom the spirit of God rests. He will bring justice, but not as a conquering warrior, a humble servant, or even a slave. The descriptions of the suffering servant in Isaiah, again, some of the most famous passages from Isaiah, goes from Isaiah chapter 52 from verse 13 all the way to chapter 53 and verse 12, perhaps some of the best-known prophecies of Messiah in Scripture. And from our point of view, this clearly is a description of Jesus. But for the first readers of Isaiah, this passage seems to be full of contradictions. Now, I won't read the entire chapter. We don't have time for that today, but I'm sure you know that the gist of this passage, the servant is described as both highly exalted, but also despised and rejected. He is a man of sorrows acquainted with grief, wounded and crushed for our sins, disfigured beyond recognition and poured out 
unto death. This is the king that God promised. The Apostle Peter described what Jesus accomplished on the cross in the words of 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, that very much echo Isaiah's prophecy. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds you are healed. But death, of course, is not the end. The passage ends with a servant being rewarded for their sacrifice like a conquering hero, interceding for and bearing the sins of many. The suffering and sacrifice have a divine purpose, the redemption of all of humanity. The way in which Jesus was the fulfillment of this suffering servant prophecy is also described by Paul in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. You must have the same attitude as Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges and took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The challenge for us today when we look at the suffering servant, as Paul says, we must have that same attitude of Christ Jesus. This servant is described as both conquered and conqueror, both priest and sacrifice, both prophet and the fulfillment of prophecy. This Messiah is both prophet and priest, but he's also a king. Isaiah's portrait of the suffering servant with all its seeming Contradictions was fulfilled, of course, in the person of Jesus, a very different king with a very different crown, a crown of thorns rather than a king's golden crown or even a conqueror's helmet. Third and final king described in the book of Isaiah is an anointed conqueror who brings blessing and justice to the world. This surely is the king that we continue to wait for. This is more the type of king that God's people would have been expecting and praying for, an avenging warrior who would vanquish their enemies. The passage that first describes this character in Isaiah is Isaiah chapter 56 and verse 1. It begins with a promise. This is what the Lord says. Be just and fair to all. Do what is right and good, for I am coming soon to rescue you. This verse comes immediately after Isaiah's description of the salvation that the suffering servant makes possible and seems very much in contrast with the sacrificing servant, this triumphant hero who's here to rescue us. But you'll notice this promise also comes with terms and conditions. Make sure you read the fine print. Whilst awaiting the rescue, we must do what is right and good. We must live out the justice and the restoration that we are praying for. There is a sense of now and yet not yet. We know that Jesus, the king of kings, but he's also the suffering servant. We know that he has arrived, but we live in between times and are called to live just and holy lives as we await for our anointed conqueror. 
This king is described as the anointed one. Now, anointing, not something which we do often in a modern context, but it was the practice of pouring scented oil over priests or kings to signify God's blessing upon them as holy and set apart for God's purposes. The meaning of anointed one is translated literally as Messiah in the Hebrew and as the Christ in Greek. The anointed one is the Messiah, is the Christ. This conquering king is anointed not only as a king, but a savior of all. The final prophetic statement in Isaiah about this Messiah king is found in chapter 61, verses 1 and 2. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come. And with it, the day of God's anger against their enemies. These final prophetic words from Isaiah, of course, was read by Jesus at the very beginning of his ministry in his hometown of Nazareth in the local synagogue. We read in uh, Luke chapter 4 that after he had finished reading, Jesus rolled up the scroll, handed it back, sat down, and with all eyes on him, Jesus said, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, this is a bit of a mic drop moment, isn't it? Don't worry, I'm not going to drop the mic. It's a metaphor. Uh, but um, this is the one Jesus is claiming to be the one prophesied by Isaiah, the anointed one, the Holy Spirit, the actual Messiah. But isn't this Joseph's little boy? We know this lad. He grew up in our area. And Jesus goes on to say that a prophet has no honor in his hometown, which is why it's great to be invited to other places to preach. I very much appreciate it. But still, this was not the Messiah they were looking for. Was Jesus really the one who was destined to set his people free from oppression, bringing both salvation and vengeance? It didn't make sense to the people at the time. It was still, yes, but not yet. He is the anointed one. He is the conqueror. And he will bring blessing and justice to the world. And this is already accomplished, but will only be fully realized when he comes again. And we were singing about this this morning. Coming again at the end of time to judge the wicked and the righteous and to make all things new. In reading Isaiah, we've seen these, these three distinct portraits. If they were physical portraits on the wall, they might not even look like each other. And yet, these three distinct characters, these three very different kings, are Jesus, our Messiah, the anointed one. We see all three are in one. The New Testament makes it clear that Jesus is the Messiah, the promised king in the line of David, the suffering servant whose sacrifice brings salvation, and the anointed conqueror bringing justice and restoring all things. You remember the wise men, at the, big, the, the kings that I talked about at the beginning, not the politicians, the, the guys from the Christmas carol. In Matthew's gospel, uh, they are, I suppose, the three kings. 
the Magi, or we three kings, of course, as the carol says. But honestly, we don't actually know from Scripture how many there were. Uh, the, the carol says there are three, and honestly, they probably weren't kings. But let's work with a metaphor here. It is recorded that they bought three gifts and that they sincerely believed that Jesus was a king worthy of their worship. One of them bought gold, which is the most appropriate gift for a king in the line of David. Another bought myrrh, which was an embalming ointment for someone who was beaten, bruised, and crushed. Finally, frankincense, an essential fragrance for the holy oil used by the prophets in anointing priests and kings. The Magi, perhaps without realizing it, were recognizing that Jesus was the three kings prophesied from Isaiah. This, this prophecy was fulfilled in this little baby in Bethlehem. Like all good stories, we started with once upon a time, and one day we will get to our happily ever after. But this is no fairy tale, and there is more story left to be told. So what do we do with all of this as we prepare to celebrate Christmas, the birth of what was the long-awaited Messiah King? Well, it's important to recognize where we're at in this story, and also to recognize what part we all play in it. We look back to the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, the servant king. We look forward to the return of the king. It's a good title for a movie, isn't it? Uh, in the line of David as the anointed conqueror. Our great hope as believers is not only that Jesus died for our sins, but that one day he will return and make all things new. As we celebrate Christmas, the incarnation of Emmanuel, God with us, and await the conquering king, we live in the Middle Age, the age of the servant. While we wait for his triumphant return, we need to endure the trials and temptations of this still fallen world. Like Jesus, we must be humble. We must be suffering servants. The apprentice is not above his master, and the cross comes before the crown. But as Isaiah foretold long ago, the master is returning. In the meantime... We must live as people of faith, building the kingdom of God as we celebrate and await the return of our Savior King. Again, from Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 9, the government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. One day we will see our Savior King face to face and also wear the crown of life. Amen.